Welcome to the Remote CEO Show. My name is De Niro Bartolini, AKA De Niro B. I'm an acclaimed business coach and my moonshot is to change the face of work and business forever. With each episode, we bring you some of the most inspiring and insightful interviews with six, seven, eight, and nine figure entrepreneurs to crack the code on how to build your remote empire and have fun while doing it. Thanks for stopping by and let's get started. What is going on, CEOs? De Niro B here with another episode of the Remote CEO Show. Today we're here with Emilia Danzica. Emilia is the founder and managing director of Growth Molecules, a management consulting firm focused on helping SaaS companies protect and grow revenue. Emilia is also on several advisory boards globally and an active contributor of the Forbes Council. As an early employee at several successful companies, Emilia amassed more than 20 years of customer experience in roles as chief customer officer, vice president of customer engagement, director of client service operations, and director of customer success. This is going to be an amazing conversation, so let's get right into it. Emilia, welcome to the Remote CEO Show. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for asking. Awesome. So I ask every single one of my guests to tell us what they were doing before they became an entrepreneur. So what is your story and what made you start your first business? I was born in an entrepreneurial family. We immigrated from Italy and my dad was an amazing pizza maker. And every time we moved, he would start a pizzeria, save enough money to buy the building and then move on to the next uh, the next purchase. So I've always grown up with entrepreneurialism in my blood. And as soon as I felt like I had enough experience, went and got my MBA. I said, I'm starting my own company. And I did just that. I have two, one in real estate and then one in customer success advisory. Mm-hmm. That's, so that's awesome. my background. That's amazing. And so I want to start talking about customer success because that's something that a lot of people discount. They always think, of course, marketing is very important, but if you don't do a good job at motivating your clients to stay on board and to even get more business, uh, your business is not going to grow as fast, right? And so can you tell us more about what you do with your advisory business? Absolutely. So our goal is to help companies protect and grow revenue. We also believe the third secret ingredient is retaining your top talent. And really, it starts with putting your customers at the core of everything you do. If you think about how much you spend on customer marketing and sales, it's seven times more than the amount you spend on keeping a customer. And so really understanding the customer journey and where there are opportunities to grow. Maybe within a company, you only are working with one department, teaching your employees how to ask the question, is there anyone else in your organization that might benefit from leveraging this this product is a really powerful question that not enough companies teach 
The other one is asking customers right from the get-go, right after the salesperson has received the signature that they're committed for a month or a year, just depending on your on your model, you ask them, what does success look like in a year from now? And then working towards that goal and along the way, creating wins or celebrations where they're seeing the return on investment, asking them, customer, would you be open to sharing a quote about your experience with our product? We'd love to, to have it on G2 if you'll take two minutes to write it. Or can we publish it on our LinkedIn profile? Can we record your voice for a quick video that we can publish? Hearing your customers talk about your product is the most powerful marketing tool you have, but not enough companies know how to ask those questions and identify the key moments and opportunities to bring your customers in as your as your champions. Absolutely. And I actually wanted to ask the inverse question, generally ask, can you give us a couple of tips on what businesses can do? But you kind of already painted a very clear picture of the do's. Now, I want to kind of talk about the don'ts because a lot of businesses are out there closing deals, onboarding clients, thinking you're doing great, but then they're always coasting in that line where they're barely profitable. So what do you see in the market right now, the majority of businesses do that are not basically supposed to do when it comes to client retention and, and using those voices? Yeah, I, I this is a really hot topic right now in the world of customer-led growth. And the number one thing that companies do wrong is they hide the leaky bucket under net revenue retention. And net revenue retention is all your sales, up sales, uh, renewals, minus your, your churn. However, gross just looks at how many customers renewed. And if you have a leaky bucket, you're looking at gross revenue retention, that is quickly identified through GRR. So too many companies go to the board, they boast about net revenue retention, but they don't talk about, we lost this many logos, we lost this many customers. And if you look at your customer, you segment them and see who are our top paying customers and how much of our total revenue do they account for? Mm -hmm. You may quickly see that if you lose one of those customers, a significant amount of your revenue is gone. So really paying attention to gross numbers is, is something that companies need to start doing instead of hiding behind this net revenue number. Okay. And it does make sense. And so if we want to kind of ground this knowledge kind of into the everyday operation of, of uh, the marketing department, the customer success department. Um, I'm sure that people know that uh, having social proof is important. So what's stopping them from actually doing a good job at it, basically? I think it is investing time and energy. So one example is when uh, our company goes into companies often and access fractional chief customer officers, and in one of those experiences, I realized there were all these terrible reviews on Glassdoor, on G2, on Twitter, and not enough good ones because there were a lot of great things about the product. So I set up a Slack channel for all the net promoter score, all the customer satisfaction scores, and all the social 
voices online talking about the product. And I included the CEO, the head of product, me as head of customer success and head of marketing. And quickly, we were able to see how powerful the voice of the customer was when we are not in the room. They're talking behind us and it's not positive. So we set up a campaign where we started meeting weekly to review these and looking at our top customers and asking them to start writing reviews and talking about our product in, in terms of case studies that went then we could turn into marketing campaigns. Mm -hmm. So the bottom line is bringing your leadership together around a cause. It doesn't have to be a huge financial investment. Think about setting up hooks to your Slack channel. It's mm -hmm. it's not it's not a huge uh, heavy weight. So doing those simple things and raising awareness around the power of the voice of the customer is where I would start. And then look at the trends. Keep keep looking at the trends and announcing it to the company so that everyone is rallying behind an, an improved customer experience. It makes total sense. And so one of the things that I, that, that I think a big takeaway that our listeners uh, can you know take right now from what you just said is that you need to be proactive about uh, getting those reviews and you need to be proactive about getting the customer to speak about your product, both to you and to your audience. Because if you don't and you let it go uh, on its own, the majority of people, and unfortunately the unhappiest voices are generally the loudest, and so you're going to find yourself with poor reviews and even on glass doors as well. Um, and, and that's definitely detrimental. Um, what did a quickly switch gears for a second and talk about, um, you, you built an amazing team remotely. And so I wanted to ask you a couple of questions about that. Um, how big is your team or like, where are they located? Are all in the United States? Or do you also have people outside? And how do you deal with the distance and make sure that everybody's on the same page? So I've built teams globally for, for many years now for companies. And then now my own company, we have the majority of people in the United States across the different time zones. And then we have a couple people in El Salvador and one remote worker in India. And the number one way for us to stay connected and communicating is one, we meet on a regular cadence to accommodate the different time zones. But two, we set up Slack channels that we can communicate freely. We do a lot of huddling where you don't have to have your camera on per se, but in Slack, you can huddle. So if there's a challenge, why wait and set up a meeting and find time on someone's calendar, if you're talking to them on Slack, why not jump on that huddle so you can have a voice-to-voice -voice communication? That often dissipates any sort of tension or frustration that you can start sensing in the tone of written communication. So I love the three, the three, the three rule when it comes to email or or texting or uh, slacking with someone. If you've gone back and forth three times and you're still confused, pick up the phone, talk to them. It's an amazing way to resolve challenges faster. Thank you. Thank you so much for saying this, because I feel like that's been, you know, uh, these meetings, like meetings in general have gotten a bat rap in the past few years because 
there was a period, especially when I started working corporate, like there was a meeting every hour almost, and that's too much. <laughs> I agree. But when it comes now to people just wanting to have these asynchronous teams and just making sure that nobody ever communicates through, you know, phone or 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 like by by voice, basically or video. I think that, uh, that that's a huge problem, especially if you're trying to build build culture and uh, and especially if you, like you said, sometimes people just don't type uh, in a friendly way. But it's not that they're not friendly people; they just don't they, they don't type the way that maybe someone else types. And so whenever you read messages, you feel like, hey, there's something wrong here. But then if you actually just get on a quick call, you'll see that there's nothing wrong. It's just that uh, it's easier, like you said, to communicate that way. Um, does your team ever meet in person? Do you think that, uh, you know, meetings in person, maybe even once a year or something are useful? Have you ever had experience with those? And if yes, uh, how did they go? Yeah, so we we do meet at Pulse, which is the biggest customer success conference in the world. And it's coming up in May. Uh, not all of us will be able to make it, but for those that can we will be spending three days together, not only at the conference, but meeting the day before, just really to network and bond and to be together and really prepare for our messaging leading up to it, where we've already started, it's in mid-May, but just making sure that we feel confident and we're exuding the voice of our brand the following day. I believe meeting in person is incredibly important. Uh, my goal for this coming year is, is to go down to El Salvador and meet with my team there. And as I've built companies and, and these remote teams in my previous roles, I believe that understanding the different cultures and bringing people together and understanding that, for example, when I went to Israel, a lot of the culture there is very relaxed. People come to work with shorts and flip-flops and t-shirts and that's absolutely normal and fine whereas if you show up at work the first day in San Francisco like that it might it, it might bring a different <laughs> a different uh, tone to how committed you are to your job so i think really understanding the different cultures and bringing them together to celebrate them and respect them is amazing if your company can afford it mm -hmm. we speak and and host a lot of workshops at these customer success or sales kickoffs and it's really important to incorporate all the different backgrounds and cultures and understand where they're coming from because your culture your background how you've been brought up your business culture in your own country really influences how you communicate and having empathy to understand that is important. So yes, I'm a huge advocate of bringing people together. It really changes the dynamics of your communication because after all, we're human. And once we can feel the energy of someone in person, it yeah. completely changes the relationship. Absolutely. There's so much to unpack in what you said. I wanted to actually... Uh, kind of dive in a bit deeper in one thing that you talked about, which is basically like communicating cross cultures. Um, it's of course very important to make sure that the team is on the same page. But I think that even from a from a leadership perspective, to motivate your your team and even of course your top performers to stick around 
And I want to tie this to what you mentioned earlier, I believe even before we started recording the episode that you said uh, customer success and also has to do with retaining talent within the business. Can you tell me more about how making sure that your team sticks with you and, and does a good job is going to impact the quality of the relationship with your clients? I spoke at a conference in the fall that a private investment equity company put together and brought together all of their uh, C-levels and and, um, heads of customer success. And one of the roundtables I facilitated was around employee retainment. And they compared all across all of their portfolio, the A to B to C players. And they identified that the A players uh, out outperformed their their quotas by 1.8% of 1.8% more than the B players. And then when they compared the A players to the C players, they were they were outperforming them by 10x. That's significant. If you have a sales team of 10 people and mm. you only have one A player, that mm. person is carrying the weight and it shouldn't be that way. And so even with our own company, we have an entire academy around customer growth. And we we reference this stat often because we want to level up all your players and believe that your B players can get to A, but you need to enable them with tools. And so retaining your top talent, you have to challenge them and you have to enable them. If your team feels that you're not investing in their learning, they will leave this newer generation. I know I have a son, he's 29. Uh, Mm -hmm. The last job he left, I asked him, I said, Tyler, why are you leaving? He said, I'm bored. They stopped teaching me uh, Mm -hmm. things. And now I just feel like I'm doing this routine over and over again. And I'm too young to do that. I've got things to learn. So you want to make sure that you are constantly motivating and enabling your team if you want to keep your top talent. Absolutely. It just makes so much sense. You know, another thing that you brought up actually was that if you have a team of 10 people and you have only one top performer, uh, of course, you could do better at training everybody else. But I've noticed that top performers, then they feel like, again, like you said, they have all the weight of the team on their shoulders. They may actually be the ones leaving because they don't really... Uh, feel like there's really like more space for them, right? Or they feel like they're doing all the work. Um, do you find that n- newer businesses, like I'm talking about run by younger CEOs, maybe have already um, kind of figured this out or it is something that uh, they need to learn, people need to learn from scratch, actually like manage their team and retain top talent? I think failure is the best educator uh, for for new founders. You really, you have to make the mistake or lose someone that was really valuable Mm -hmm. so that you don't make that same mistake again. Or you realize like, oh no, I put all of my bets on this one person and I ignored the rest or I poor, I hired poorly. Where did I go wrong? Where I was only able to hire one top talent and the rest are mediocre. So thinking about that and reflecting on your own steps, your own skills on how you're retaining employees is really important. I'll also say that 
your top performers are hungry for more. So give them more challenges, give them more responsibility, see if they have leadership uh, hunger in them. Not every great salesperson, customer success manager wants to lead a team. It's a lot of work, a lot of therapy sessions you're doing with your teams often. Uh, It's not for everyone. And you need to make sure that that's actually what they want. Having the, the courage to sit down with someone and help them set goals for that quarter instead of deciding for them is really powerful. They will respect you more and they will be more engaged in achieving those goals because it was a shared exercise versus you telling them what to do. Yes, 100%. There's really so much to think about and I'm sure that our listeners are already like wanting to ask even more questions. But before we finish the interview, I want to ask you two questions. First off, is there anything exciting that you want to share with our audience that your team is working on? Well, besides this event that is coming up in May at the Moscone Center in downtown San Francisco, Mm -hmm. Pulse 2023 Mm -hmm. uh, will be there. Very excited. I'll be speaking at the event as well. Uh, It is a one-year anniversary coming up in April that I launched my book, Pressing On as a Tech Mom, and interviewed and researched uh, with over 300 women globally about what it was like to be a mother in technology. So one-year anniversary events coming up in April, really excited about publishing that book and hearing all the stories from people around the world that have read it and um made them feel like they weren't alone and and gave them the courage to keep persevering in tech because technology needs women. They need our voices. So that's what I'm excited about. Awesome. And so uh, your book, people can find your book, I'm assuming on Amazon as well as Barnes. Anything else? Okay. Yeah, you got it. Pressing on as a tech mom. Perfect. And so, Emilia, again, I'm sure that my listeners will want to know even more about you. So where can people find you online? I am at growthmolecules.com. I'm also on LinkedIn, or you can email me. It's just E-M-I-L-I-A at growthmolecules.com. Perfect. Again, Amelia, thank you so much for being in the Remote CO Show. I'm looking forward to having you in the future. In the meantime, enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks for having me. And this is it for today, CEOs. Thanks for staying with us until the end. Can I ask you a big favor? Can you please leave a review? I know the podcast app is not super straightforward. So if you don't know how to leave a review, just DM me on Instagram at B. D-E-N-I-E-R-O-B. And I will send you the direct link to the review section and To show you my appreciation, I will answer any business question you ask me during that conversation. So thank you again, and I will talk to you again soon.